Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller like me, please call 323-660-1175. Thanks for your support, and enjoy. All right, you guys, this is very exciting. Please put your hands together for Tosh Berman. This is a this is sort of a strange situation I'm in because I wrote this book 25 years ago, and originally I made I don't know 200 copies of the book in Japan, which is a, a country in Asia. Um, it's kind of it looks kind of small, but really a lot of people on this on this uh, property. And for a while, I was one among some of the citizen of Japan for a while. And I wrote this book in Japan, most of it, and I produced a very limited edition copy in Japan that was only sold in Japan and only to the Japanese. Um, it was in English. Um, so I didn't have a really strong following. But I did, I did, I did a series of poetry readings. I did a, a, a reading in a no theater, in a kabuki theater. And the no theater was very minimal. It was just a, uh, not even a mic. It was just an empty stage. So they put me in front of an empty stage, and um, I had to recite my poetry. There's only like two or three people in the audience. I think they were like sort of the uh, people who worked there. But the kabuki was incredible because I had costumes and an and, uh, incredible amount of color, a whole like, lot of actors and actresses and singing and dancing. And I had a full crowd, and this was in the Ginza. And um, I was the first... Um, Linda can correct me on this. I was the first... American poet to ever recite poetry in the in the uh, Kabuki theater in the Ginza in Tokyo, and they had never done this afterwards for some reason. <laughs> so it was an incredible honor. And then you know, 25 years later, like where has the time? What happened to time? I just I don't know what happened. Um, so I'm going to read a few poems. Uh, just a few, and then I'm going to have a discussion with my good friend, Ruth, on my favorite subject matter, which is usually me. <laughs> but before I start, um, it's, hard, it's really hard to go into the past, and I, I will go in the past only once tonight, and then never again after the, tonight. This is going to be a very unique, like me being in the Kabuki Theater and being in the No Theater. It happened once, it's gone. I had a job once, that's gone. Never will ever have a job again. So my life will end, perhaps, uh, or perhaps not, but I'll be doing something new. But I've been obsessed. Um, I want to read a piece that's not... I didn't write this, but I've been totally obsessed with this piece for like about a week now. And it doesn't really fit in what's happening tonight, but I feel... I just, I just had that urge to do it. I don't, it it's not, there's nothing... Um, what's the word? There's nothing... There's no reason why I should do it, but I'm, I'm just going to read this. Oh, man. Um, man, she punched me like a dude. Hold your mad hands, I cried. Tis a pity she was a whore. Tis my curse, I suppose. That was patrol. That was patrol. This is the war. Black struck the kiss. She kept my cock. Smoothed the mistress, drifting on, 
Tis a pity she was a whore. She stole my purse with rattling speed. That was patrol. This is the war. Tis a pity she was a whore. Man, she punched me like a dude. Hold your hands, I cried. Tis a pity she was a whore. Tis my face, I suppose. That was patrol. That was patrol. Tis a pity she was a whore. David Bowie. <laughs> I'm a huge David Bowie fan, and I usually, the first thing I think of in the morning is David Bowie, and when I go to bed at night, I think about David Bowie, and then... <laughs> and when David Bowie retired for that 10 years, I was, I was just, I didn't know what to do with myself. It was just... So anyway... The next thing from my mouth was actually stuff that I wrote, poems that I wrote. Um, this one's called House and Garden. All in all, House and Garden is a banquet. Such people who have the vision and imagination to break traditional convention of decoration and design. The eye, to appreciate the beauty in 17th century walk-up flats. If I am correct, you are one of those people. What I see in you is glorious full-color photography, vibrantly rich homes, inviting gardens. This is a banquet as in life in all its most creative forms. Quote, a kind of madness sees me, and I tenderly pursued it, unquote. And this is the language spoken by people who have turned living into an art. This is called photography. Not about photography. It's called photography. Sun is in the eyes. There is no sin under the sun. Grouped together knowing this will be the last meeting. Mostly smiles. A couple exposed expressions. One looks tired and troubled from the charade of posing. Think of the first photograph and what it meant to the family unit. This poem is about, uh, about photography. This is called Kitchen. This is not about a kitchen. Roses grow and so do you. In the spring there's a blossom. Your body, so cruel and cool, in the spring there's a blossom blowing in the spring. And the flower, so cool, cruel, hides under the shade of body. Is this the way to mend my heart and throw an iceberg in my cocktail? I serenaded under your window, the spring in my head leaves no doubt of the bounce in my heart. These are two French poems that were written in English uh, that were meant to be translated into French and hasn't happened yet. It's in two parts. One part is called Thin Words. The second part is The Stranger. Part one. These words in hollow times, a detective in thin clothing. I remember Paris with closed eyes. St. Michel runs a river and a mouth full of air is not worth the texture of rain. Number two. Eyes were full of tears. Then he turned and disappeared. New lips to a new Marisol. I understand why at the end, nobody, nobody had the right to cry over her. 
I open myself to the gentle indifference of the world. The Economist. But be forewarned, you'll see a very different America when you look at your country through the, quote, eyes, unquote, of The Economist. Rest easy. In its widely acclaimed science and technology section, computers that outperform surgeons. It's kind of hothouse effect, or too close to the action. It's my opinion that your domestic news media often presents a somewhat feverish, overwrought picture. That final judgment, however, is best left to you. Every Monday morning arrives at the desk of a select circle of individuals in position of power and influence. And that is why I love you. However, that final judgment is best left to you. This one's called Glenn Gould. If there's life among the Black Keys, I hold the United States government responsible. This is not me talking, but the force of a startling new publication. If there's any doubt out there, I see a series of amphetamines falling between the keys. This Beethoven's Moonlight Sonata has entrapped millions of piano students. As for me, I love Petula Clark under the Canadian Moonlight. Um, I actually planned this evening quite well. I sort of lied to my friends. I, I didn't plan. And there's a certain thing where attention, where the reader is looking for something to read in the book. There's that sort of awkward moment where they're sort of like making a decision. I'm going to be honest with you. I know exactly what I'm going to do and what I'm going to read. But I want to see if I can actually have the power to cause a certain amount of tension or some type of anxiety. And I'm not feeling that much in anxiety right now, so I'm not sure if I'm if, I, if this is working or not. <laughs> Are you feeling anxious? No. That's very sad to hear. <laughs> um. Okay. I'm gonna read this poem, and then I'll read like twenty more. My flesh was slightly torn by the beautiful world when I loved you on the rocks off the sea of Japan. We want to flush the world in front of us, but we blush at the thought of it. I was forced to watch old girlfriends make promises that I forced them to keep. Oh, how ugly it seems now. The summer goes, and I go with it. Any town that lets me in is a town in a need of a new paint job. This is my dear friend, Ruth Bernstein, and she's, we're going to have a discussion.
actually, is it? there, I don't want to hold it. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Okay. Hello? Hmm. Would you like to hold this? Okay. Might be a little better just to hear you. I like that. This one picks up a little Try that. All right. So Tosh, it is, it's good to see you as always. It's a pleasure. There's a lot of familiar faces in the audience. I don't know one person here. <laughs> uh, I made a short list of some of the things that you are. You are a writer, a publisher, a poet. You're yes. a creator, an yes. archivist, a documentarian, a traveler, a composer. Yes, yes. Do any of those things have a hierarchy? Like, Do you think of yourself as a publisher, poet, or a composer, traveler? Well, I don't think myself as a human being. <laughs> so I take that off the list. Right? You didn't put that on the I list, did you? Oh, no. Okay. Well, <laughs> I think I... be quite honest, I always felt somebody who does show and tell. I, the only thing I like about school, the only thing I like about school was show and tell in kindergarten or first grade. Because I love showing, taking something from my house and showing and presenting it to, to somebody else. And um, so that's basically it. So it's like, you know, I, went, I, 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 I probably found my first book that I had at home. I bring it to class, show it to everybody, record, so forth. Uh, I try to sh- bring something kind of unique or something interesting that I, that I, I sort of figured out. Um, so, as, so when I got into publishing, it's basically show and tell for me. It's just like I found something I like, and therefore I'm going to present it to you and, and then show it to you. And pretty much writing, including the poetry, is very much the same thing in my mind. It's pretty much putting it together, showing it to you, present it to you. So publishing, writing, um, curating, uh, my pool playing and my, and my poker playing, it's all basically to present to the audience here. Did you like any of the other kids' things that they brought for show and tell? Totally boring. Right. <laughs> totally useless. So 25 years ago, you lived in this uh, socially and geographically isolated place. Yes. And what do you think would have happened if you weren't writing those poems? Well, well, to give a little backstory, um, I got married. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) I got married to a woman from Japan. Right. And... um, I went. To, I did a fast, like honeymoon trip to Japan, meet the family, or well, spend more time with the family. We came back. Unfortunately, her mother got very ill, so she had to go back right away. This is like our first like three months of getting married. This is like 1989. Or 1989, mm-hmm. and so she's left. It was this basically all done like three days? She was gone. So I followed her uh, because I was her husband. And what the husband put to do is follow, <laughs> and I did follow. I'm a good follower, <laughs> and um, so. Tokyo is perfectly fine. It's very cosmopolitan. It's a big city, but where? And I've never been in Japan. Right? I never, I never before I even before I even went to Japan. I never used chopsticks in my life. The first time I used chopsticks was actually my first night in Japan, and uh, and so everything I did in Japan, I, it, was, it was like I had to learn just by watching people and, and trying to make myself not not, not a total idiot. <laughs> so. Um, uh, my wife Luna Mendel's uh, hometown is a place called Mojiko, and it's in Kitakyushu, which is sort of a bigger part of the city, and in Kishu, which is the southern island of Japan. And it's sort of to me uh, like Sicily to Italy. 
it's basically uh, a port town that's declined greatly. Uh, and there's sort of like Yakuza toughs. It's sort of like young Japanese gangsters there mm-hmm. and some older Japanese gangsters. So there's, there was a strong, um, like, at the time I felt like, I, I felt like one foot was in the 19th century and one foot was in the 21st century because one, you had this sort of gangsterish Japanese environment and then, tw- and then the 21st century part, they had toilets that talked to you. <laughs> and And... And you try to like juxtapose this. Wait, I'm like in the 19th century, but there's this sort of weird 21st century useless mm-hmm. instrument, really. Mm-hmm. But it's actually quite good now. Um, and so I felt totally isolated in this culture after a while. But isolated in a good way. It's not always a negative thing. I, I, it's just before the internet. So any news I get in English, like a newspaper, it'll be like two days later. And a lot of things happened, like the Berlin Wall went down that time, and the San Francisco earthquake. And I remember, like, I was told by um, um, people who lived there, saying, oh, earthquake. And they go, where? And he went, San Francisco. And I went, big? And they said, hmm. And they said, and I said, is there a San Francisco? And they went, hmm. <laughs> so it took me like, about two days to get the you know, full report mm. of San Francisco. And same with the Berlin Wall going down. And, um, and, you know, and so anything, I, you know, so my only way I can communicate in English is writing letters to people who are very slow in writing back. I mean, for some reason, like, you know, I'm writing, like, zillions of letters. Um, I, 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 I had no friends. <laughs> I, I thought I had friends, but they, they, I was, you know, once you leave town or something, you're totally abandoned. Mm. Totally right. abandoned, like a kitten on a doorstep. <laughs> wanting some milk. That's what I was, I was like. A, I was like a cold kitty cat. And um, but, anyway, but but it's just like taking all this in. And 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 Mojico is like fantastic place. But it definitely at the time um, ha- has seen better days. And and um, and I was like the only foreigner in this place. Mm-hmm. So uh, most of the people sort of ig- not ignored me, but they don't really look at me when walking down the street. But children would stare at me. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, if, if I give permission, they like to touch my hair, mm-hmm. my hand. <laughs> and some kids will come up to me and say, like, for the month, says, can, can, can my son or daughter draw your face? Because hmm. I was literally like the man who fell to earth or an alien <laughs> that walked through this town. And it was the first time I've ever been, I felt totally, not only alone, but totally separated from other people. And it was not horrifying. It was just a really interesting experience to, to, to have that. So the poems served the purpose of connecting you back to language? Yeah, well, I, the only thing I brought with me um, to, to Mojico was a, English, like a mass market English dictionary, dictionary and a, uh, a book of, like, like a paperback book of like maps uh, that gives you all these facts about how long the Amazon River is and stuff. And that was my only uh, reading material in English. Um, so I felt... Um, I've been working on poetry for a long time at that point, but I never liked my poetry at all. And it was only until I, I was there writing that I actually liked what I was doing, and I wanted to make a book while I was there. You said in an essay about your father, Wallace Berman, that all art is connected to, all, uh, to other forms of art, that it has to be connected. Yes. And how's that true in this case? Well... I don't see poetry as being poetry. I see it as being sort of a movie, a film, and 
my biggest influence at the time of writing this book of poems was uh, uh, Sergio Eisenstein's book, The Film Form and Film Sense, two volumes. And it's all about film editing. But the way he wrote about film editing, I felt you could, the same as writing poetry. Um, the subject matter of poetry is not that interesting to me, but more of the the playfulness of the words and the texture of, of the language. I was never really interested in the poetry establishment or any establishment, really. But the mixture of, of, um, of, uh, uh, of using words, it's sort of like magic in a sense. And a lot of my work is, was, is, was, is still, uh, influenced by other mediums, you know, like music and, and, um, and film and also everyday occurrence that I sort of project into a bigger picture. Uh, you had this great quote recently. You said, more likely I will never ever know Japan, but I will always be in love with what I think is Japan. So do you think that's also true about Los Angeles or Paris or New York or any of the other places you like? Oh, uh, yeah, consistently. Do you think it's true for everybody? Yeah, um, I don't know about that, but for me, it is, I, I truly don't feel I know anything. I just sort of presume I know these things. But I, 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 I know for sure I don't know Los Angeles. I don't know Tokyo. I don't know Paris or London. But I know what it represents. And when I go there, I'm, sort of, I'm a tourist. And so when I go there, I project in my head what's, what's the touristy aspect. And I just e- exaggerate it to an incredible degree. And that is my Paris, and that's my London, and that's my Los Angeles. I, I, I don't relate to it in a, in a, in a really realistic way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have an online writing project, and you, you're guessing that you're going to write 2,190 hours at, by the end of the year in, you know, in, the, in seeking out this Oh, I'm publishing. not guessing. I will. That, no, that's the exact precise yes. amount. Okay. I will. Okay, so this is quite a literary crowd that came out to see you tonight, so I'm curious if you'll tell us a little bit about what it's like to publish something. You, you said that um, after you publish once a day mm-hmm. that you forget what you wrote. Yeah. And so talk a little bit about what it's like to have published a book 25 years ago and then now and forgetting about it for a year. Right. Or, I don't know, did you forget about it? Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes, I... Uh, uh, I was just so lucky it got republished. I didn't think about it at all. I mean, I didn't think about it. 200 copies were made, and it went out in the world, and that was the end of the story. Was, you know, I was fine with that. Uh, now it's come back. It's very interesting because it's a totally new perspective for me to look at it. And, um, it, yeah, it's very odd. And, and, and I'm doing this writing project right now, which I think most of you know already. It's uh, for the year 2014, starting January 1st, 2014 till December 31st, 2014, I'm writing a narrative or essay every day by 11 o'clock or 12 at noon and posting it on my Facebook page as well as on my blog. And I've been doing this, I'm now have done 325 pieces. And tomorrow morning I'll do 326. <laughs> and it's a journal. Yes. Well, if you haven't read it, you shouldn't applaud. <laughs> if you like, I wouldn't applaud. <laughs> One of your recent pieces said that you were going to create a poet poetry journal that you were going to try to replace currency with. Yes. And that you attempted to see how it would work in mm-hmm. a diner, and the trade that you made was for toast. Well, what I did was I went to a di- Okay, the, the narration of the story is that I, I went to my local diner 
Because I had no, I don't, I don't work, and this is my only job is writing this thing I do every day, which doesn't pay. But it is currency of circle. It is a piece of work. So I thought, if I take this piece of work and I go to a diner, I will ask them like what it's worth. Like I need some food and service and stuff like that. And it, please add the tip into it, of course. What would I get for it? So basically, they start, they chit chat among themselves, and they agreed that I just get like one toast. <laughs> But no, but no jam or no jelly, no, no butter, and no coffee. Right. Water, yes. They give it the tap water, and um, this all comes to um, actually, it's not that far off how I was raised because my father made a publication called Semina, which is now, well, I won't say now famous, but it's well known, and. Um, he never sold it to anyone. He gave it to he gave it away, mm-hmm. and basically, he also when he made art, he traded his art for groceries, uh, for a bar tab at the local bar. So, so the currency there wasn't that much currency around. We had food because my dad had a relationship with the grocer who would take art for uh, for for food, and this was in Topanga Canyon mostly. Uh, my last question is, where do you think creativity comes from? Where does creativity comes from? I need a, I need a, hold on a second. Have some water. <laughs> I have an answer for this. Okay, good. Well, the reason why is that you seem to have been, um, uh, your parents encouraged your writing, but then there's plenty of creative people whose parents didn't, and they lived in uncreative places, but still the outcome's the same. Well, I don't, I don't know. All I know is that I I have I'm compelled. To, I like working, but and it's like sort of a, this is a work that I enjoy very much, and I sort of like the challenge of the sort of getting up in the morning, and for this specific project, this writing every day project, I like waking up in the morning without a clue what I'm going to do, or the night before, and you're just dealing with it. And it's like a moment like you do or die. Because I, I make, right now in my life, I'm sort of, everything I've done is basically do or die. There's no like second chance or second plan. Either I do it or it's a total disaster. And the chance of me totally failing or being in this total disastrous situation is so great. So I'm sort of prepared to actually uh, die or, or fail or fail and die or all above and it's this and it really it sort of it, it doesn't depress me but it gets me going and makes me think more about who I am and what the world is and 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 I I interact with a lot of um there are many famous personalities that come through my my narratives on a daily basis some people I know some people I don't know you never know for sure you'd be surprised who I do know that you don't know <laughs> and um and I put it in the story because the, the one rule is that it has to be interesting people, at least my point of view, are interesting, but I have to put myself in that story and that narrative as well somehow. So I have three hours. I, it takes me, every day it takes me about six hours to do from when I wake up till I finish it. So a lot of it is like researching the names and, and go through their history, who they are, and who their friends are, and what books they wrote, and quotations. And then... I have a narration in my head or, or an essay of some sort, and then I write it. And each piece is about 600 words. So creativity comes from opportunity? Uh, it comes from actually, if I, 
you know, this sounds really, this is a really boring answer, but really it's this work. It's, I, it, creativity is really this sitting down there and like this looking at that blank computer screen or blank piece of paper till you put words to it somehow. And it, it does happen. I really don't believe in writer's block that much. I mean, it, 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 it I think, it, I, you know, it, there's so much stuff out there. I can write right now, I can write like a story about each one of you. You know, I can do, I can do this project. I can do one, then pop, 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 pop. I could do that easily because I imagine who you people are. Some of you I do know, some I exaggerate. They're all like in, you're all an inspiration for me. That's good. <laughs> Keep it coming. Well, it, it will end because <laughs> everything that has a start has a beginning, a middle, and end, and it will end. It will end for sure. It'll be a total disaster, of course. I don't know what I'll be doing, but. <laughs> We shall see. Well, I'm sure you'll uh, join me in thanking Rebecca, who's the publisher of this wonderful book um, from Penny Ante. Why would she publish she's a little something? Shy, but but she's why? Right why? There. Why would she? Pu- <laughs> why? Why would she publish something that's 25 years old and and poetry? For God's sake. She's, she couldn't come. She couldn't come. Mm-hmm. I was over having um, breakfast over at a friend's house of ours, and she was making me breakfast, and I was looking at all these, these books scattered on the floor, and I see <laughs> in bright red, there it is, bright red letters, Tosh Berman on the cover Here, you can hold it up. Oh. Original edition. <laughs> and this was, you know, Katie Sparks-tastic, so Tosh hadn't written the books, and I was like, what? Touch wrote a book? This is crazy. And it was Ruth's copy that she had lent Emily. Yeah. And I just, I just fell in love with this book, and I've always wanted to work with Tosh. It's some capacity. And this was the perfect opportunity. So, and, it looks Tosh. beautiful. And this, and this cover is designed by Luna Meno. Oh, Japan. nice. Jap, Jap, real, real, not fake. And not, not, not purchased in little Tokyo, but real Japanese rice paper. <laughs> right? Wow. No? No? <laughs> Oh, yeah. my pleasure. That was fun. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, there's copies right up at the register as well. Thank you, guys. Nice work. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.